you know, if I'm struggling with something, you know, what, what, whatever it is, the pandemic or my response to it or whatever, whatever it is, if I'm not thinking about these things with God and praying about them, then I'm not free to really be available to people. You know what I mean? I'm not really present to them because I'm, ironically, I'm more stuck in my stuff. So for me, I think it's a process and a practice of, and it's nothing, it's nothing, um, you know, mysterious. Well, I mean, it is mysterious, but it's nothing that can't be explained. It's, when I'm saying it, it makes it sound like I close my eyes and suddenly I'm freed. No, I mean, it's doing the kinds of stuff that we're, we've been talking about, the examination of conscience, praying over scripture, you know, asking God to sort of, you know, bring stuff up and raise stuff up in prayer and, you know, and talking to God about things that are difficult, right? And eventually it doesn't, it's not like I sit down and something just pops into my head eventually you get some clarity right now without doing that you're 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 kind of stuck in yourself so the irony is the more time you spend doing that the i think the freer you are and the better friend or brother or sister or companion or spouse or whatever you'll be hi there and welcome back to sacred ordinary days with jen giles kemper today's conversation is with father james martin He has written so many books, but his latest is on prayer. In fact, it's Learning How to Pray, A Guide for Everyone, which is not just the greatest title. The book more than lives up to it. In fact, it hit the New York Times bestseller list the very day that we were having this conversation. Also, he recorded this conversation on the microphone that Facebook sent him. Yes, (laughs) Facebook. And not long after the conversation, we saw him on Stephen Colbert's show. So the fact that he had time in his schedule to be with me for this conversation is, well, I was stunned and so, so grateful. Father Jim, as he let me call him, is kind and humble. He was funny. He was fully present and offered a lot of insight on different types of prayer, the ways in which we can discern the voice of God, and really discern lots of other things as well. He talked about his own prayer life. He talked about meeting with people in spiritual direction, and also the beauty of the individuality of how the Holy Spirit communicates with us. Whether you are familiar with Father Jim Ignatian spirituality, and no matter what your prayer life looks like, I think this conversation will be a gift to you. Thanks for joining us at the table. And thanks to Father Jim for being with me. Here it is. Father Jim, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We are delighted to talk, among other things, about prayer, and that includes talking about your latest book. But you're a really prolific writer. So what motivated you to explore prayer now in your writing? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's just great to be with you. I am basically, you know, interested in helping people encounter God in their lives. And I've written a lot about Jesuit spirituality and Jesus and the saints and things like that. And I've touched on prayer in different books, but never really a, you know, full on treatment of it. And one of the reasons I wanted to write about it was because I think there's so many, as you know, misconceptions about it. And so many people feel that they can't pray or they're not made for prayer or they've tried prayer and it quote unquote doesn't work. And I wanted to really be helpful to them and just invite people into an encounter with God through prayer and to remind people that as the first sentence of the book says, everyone can pray. 
It's a welcome invitation and reminder that indeed everyone can pray. And I think your book does a beautiful job of inviting people into a number of different postures and practices and some good ways of of using imagination and prayer even. So let's talk specifically about Jesuit spirituality. As someone outside of the Catholic tradition, I have been most familiar with the term Ignatian spirituality. Could you say a little bit about the way that those intersect and overlap and are the same and different? (laughs) Well, that's a great question. For most people, they're the same. I mean, Jesuit spirituality is the spirituality of St. Ignatius Loyola and all of his followers and people who, you know, have made Jesuit retreats. And it can be summarized by talking about finding God in all things. It has a certain way of praying that I talk about, which is imaginative contemplation. To be honest, Ignatian contemplation is used more now to remind people that it's not simply for Jesuit priests and brothers, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It's a little more open-ended. And so that's the term that most people use. So it's it's the same thing that when people talk about Jesuit spirituality and Ignatian spirituality, they're, they're basically talking about the same thing, which is a, a tradition of finding God in all things, a certain tradition of prayer, a tradition of using the examination of conscience, all coming from uh, St. Ignatius and the first Jesuits and Jesuits who have followed Ignatius. But but these days, it's, you know, it, it, it includes, you know, lay men, lay women, sisters, uh, all sorts of people. Certainly, and Ignatius wrote um, quite a bit for for he lay did. people, and and that has been such a gift in my own life. I'm curious. My experience of this last year, as many of us have not been gathering with our churches or mm-hmm. um, you know taking taking communion, taking the sacraments in mm-hmm. person, I have noticed that there are more distinctions between people's spirituality in the last year than perhaps their denomination or tradition, and. What I mean by that is the ways in which that they experience God, the ways in which they think God is communicating to them and through them and in the world. And I'm curious, um, as someone at home in, in Jesuit spirituality, Ignatian spirituality, how has that influenced how you have viewed this last year? That's a great. That's a yeah. That's a great point. I think times of crisis do that for us. Yeah. Right? You know, when you're facing, I mean, a global pandemic, for sakes, <laughs> and. You know, or a serious illness or a death in the family or a rupture of a relationship or financial situation. And I think it does call us to a kind of deeper faith, but it's also people deal with it in different ways. Some people go deeper. Some people freak out, right? Yeah. Uh, some people see it as a, as a way of God inviting them to trust more, to change, to focus more on prayer. I've noticed that people struggle with, essentially in the pandemic, the feeling of despair. Hmm. Um, And I talk about that in the book that, you know, St. Ignatius talks about um, the way that God works in our lives. And it's primarily through, I mean, one of the many ways, but the the feelings we have are primarily feelings of uplift, of calm, of peace. You know, this is the way, this is the way God works. And you look at the way Jesus works in the gospels, right? I mean, he's bringing peace to situations, right? He's calming storms, he's healing people. So it's this great sense of uh, hope and courage. And the voice that's not coming from God, um, we, we sometimes call it the evil spirit in Ignatian spirituality, is the voice that tempts us to despair, hopelessness, panic. And I think one of the simplest ways of helping people through the pandemic is to remind them that the voice of God is really the voice of hope. Hmm. And the voice that is not coming from God is the voice of despair, right? So, which, you know, that, that's simply not a Christian message. And so... That's one way to help people through this. But I've really noticed, you know, a lot of people that 
you know, our, our faithful people, and this is through no fault of their own, are really panicking and really, mm-hmm. and really freaking out, right? And so to be able to encourage them to look for signs of God's presence in that calm is, has been helpful, I think. Yes. And I think, you know, one of the invitations of this last year has been perhaps to reach out and connect and learn from other faithful people. Sure. And so I have seen a number of people be interested this last year, particularly in the examine in ways that before they're like, you know, who cares? What's the point? I pray. I don't, I don't need like a new way to pray. And yet finding, finding ways to connect with God through your own life and look at your life as the text. Whereas perhaps in like Lexio Divina, for example, the text is scripture, but with the examine, the text is, is your life. So Mm, that's a great way of saying it, by the way, I've Mm -hmm. never thought of it that way. I'm going to, I'm going to now quote you. Oh, well, that'd be fun. That's, that's really very, that's really a really wonderful way of saying it. The text is your life. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Well, that feels, that feels like one of the gifts that has been passed along through my Ignatian spiritual director Mm. and reading and, and prayer that, yeah, that, that's the text that we're holding up for illumination, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. But to answer your question, I think that uh, perhaps it's because people have more time by themselves now, Mm. right? And in the past, they might have been able to, in a sense, um, you know, not escape exactly, but overlook maybe the invitation to spend time quietly with God and looking at their, their day-to-day lives. Well, now they, now they have a lot more time. And, uh, I think there's a little bit more introspection. I mean, we're all involuntary monks these days. Hmm. We're all like it or not. We're living monastic lives. We, I mean, in my own life, I live in a Jesuit community you know, I don't go anywhere. <laughs> I go outside. I go to the drugstore. I go out for a run. But, you know, I'm looking at the same four walls with the same 12 or 14 people. <laughs> and that's very monastic. And I think most people find themselves in even more straightened situations with fewer people, right? I mean, you know, very few people are living with 12 people right now. And that, I think, sort of pushes us back onto ourselves and onto God. And it's hard, it's hard to escape that. But I think the examine, you know, is a real, is a real positive way of looking at where God has been present, right? Um, Which is something that people might not have had time for. I'll tell you a funny story briefly. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were all in our house chapel here. And one of the priests who I live with said, well, you know, and you know, it was the beginning when no one was going to work at all. Mm -hmm. We were just stuck at home. And he said to us, uh, well, you know, all of us, complain about not having enough time to pray. Well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> so I've used that, that, you know, I mean, at, at the very least something like your commute, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. say people, most people for commute, maybe like half hour or whatever. That's, you know, there's an extra hour just for you. <laughs> that's really just good for point. God. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about our longings to pray and what those longings Tell us about who we are and also who God is. Yeah, thanks for asking that question. I think that's, and that's a really important part part of the book. You know, what I'm, what I say in the book and what I deeply believe, and this is just, this is my, not, my, not only my own experience, but, you know, in accompanying people in direction, is that people have a natural longing for God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a reason why people pick up a, a book on, on prayer, or listen to a podcast about prayer. There's something in us that desires an encounter with God and desires prayer. And where does that come from? Well, I believe it comes from God. I think that one of the primary ways that God draws us closer is to awaken in us a desire for God. How else would God draw us closer? Mm-hmm. Right? How else would God attract us 
um, into the life of prayer, into the spiritual life, other than by sort of stirring up this desire in us. And so I think one of the most helpful things for people in the spiritual life when they start out is to say to them, and it's it's true, I mean, I believe this with my whole heart. I'll say to them, well, where do you think this is? You know, they'll say something like, I really, I, you know, I want to learn about prayer. I want to learn how to pray. Or I, I want to pray better or I want to, you know, encounter God more. And how do I do that? And first I'll say, well, they'll say, I don't, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And first I'll say, where do you think that desire is coming from? And they'll say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I've been interested in that and lots of things have been happening in my life. And, and I'll say, well, more deeply, wh- who, where's that desire coming from? And when you get them to think about it, they'll say, well, I guess it's coming from God. And then when you can say to them, okay, so God is inviting you into this. This is a call and it's, it's up to you to respond. It makes them feel less uh, frightened because they know that it's God that's doing this. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? It makes them feel like, okay, it's not just me sort of blindly flailing around. Right. It's, it's God's with me in this. God's going to help me with this. And so that's really, it can sometimes be overwhelming for people when they realize, but I think that's a key insight in the spiritual life. I talk in the book uh, about a plaque that I saw in a retreat house, which is that which you seek is seeking you. Mm-hmm. So I just love. I mean, as you know, I, I, sometimes those what seem like almost cliched sayings are pretty profound. That which you seek is seeking you. And that's where the, that's where it comes from first. You know, it's, it's God that's drawing you. It's not, you think it's your curiosity. But <laughs> right. it's, it's God. Well, it makes it much easier when you realize that whatever your moves are, they are all response. They are not just like into empty nothingness. Yeah. And you don't know if something, something or someone else is there and it's just like you alone in a vacuum. Um, but if you can see yeah. it as a response to an invitation, to a peaking of curiosity, to God, Right. Um, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to go there. It is. It, it makes, that's exactly right. It, it, it gives you the confidence that you're not just blindly starting out, right? You're, you're responding to something and that God's going to help you with this. And look, the other thing is, as you were saying that I was thinking, um, you know, it's also up to you whether or not you respond. Right. I mean, you know, I think one of my favorite words comes from a, a Jesuit priest, a good friend of mine who died about five or six years ago named Bob Gilroy, really great guy. And um, he used to say that people have these desires and these urges and these attractions all the time, but they're not, one of my favorite words, they're not encouraged to think about them in that way. Hmm. So a person might be, you know, whatever, passing a church, going through a, a park or, t- you know, talking to someone on the phone or watching a movie or reading a book or any, or listening to a podcast and feel this kind of and maybe someone's feeling it now. Feel this kind of desire, this sort of longing, this kind of curiosity. And oftentimes they're not encouraged to see it as God's invitation. Right. And all you got to do is to point to that and say, have you ever thought of that as God's reaching out to you? Then to your point, they can say, wow, you know, I'm not just doing it on my own. I'm responding. And it also, the other thing is also makes it more important. Hmm. It's not just something that comes up. It's it's a call. It's not random but, or coincidental know, or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's God's invitation. Now the the thing is you have to say yes. Right. Right. It's I also mean, encouraging that it can be encouraging to begin to see things as invitations to recognize that it's it's often not a once and done invitation. Yeah. That's um, right. Which right. means that even if you can look back, once you have the eyes to see things as invitations, you can look back and see, oh, there have been all of these moments, all of these invitations. Mm-hmm. 
which can that's exactly right be disappointing like oh well maybe god has given up on me by now and instead to say like and they keep coming and i can trust that that's a great point and you know they you know just like in in the gospels i mean jesus is continually you know with the disciples and inviting them into a deeper and deeper relationship with them even when they betray him right i mean even when for example peter betrays him you know at the crucifixion he goes back and <laughs> says again <laughs> you know feed my sheep follow me if you think about it, you know, he, at the very beginning, uh, at the call of the first disciples, he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John. He says, follow me, right? And then, you know, they do. Not always well. Uh, and then at the end, Peter denies knowing him at the crucifixion. And then it, the risen Christ appears to him again and says, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, you know, three times. And then he says, follow me. He says it again. So, to your point, you know, Jesus and God are always offering us that invitation. But, you know, we have to say yes. That's right. the other thing. We got we to gotta say yes and take a step. Well, speaking of taking a step, you've said that the examine is the most helpful prayer that you know of for people who are starting out in prayer. Would you say more? Yeah. So the examine for people who may not be familiar with it is basically a, re- a review of the day, right? And as you said which beautifully, that the text of your day is not scriptures, but uh, the, the text of the prayer is not scriptures, but your day and, you know, where God was active. And it's five parts. It's very simple. And you don't have to do it sort of slavishly, you know, these five <laughs> parts, but you place yourself in the presence of God, you know, however you want to do that, you know, just sort of imagining you're calling to mind God, you know, making sure it's not just a monologue as one does. Right. Prayer. <laughs> and then you call to mind things you're grateful for, right? Just anything, right? I mean, you know, a good meal you had, a call from a friend, a bit of good news, you know, just something fun. You know, your dog or your cat did something funny. You call them to mind, savor them and thank God for them. And then you review the day. That's the bulk of the exam. And you, you know, you try to see where God is, was present during the day. Where did you encounter God? Where did you maybe turn away from God? You know, sometimes it's, it's things that make move you, right? Sometimes it's insights. So anywhere you felt God's presence, and then, you know, the, there's part of the examine where you um, express sorrow for your sins because, you know, we're not perfect. I mean, neither of us on this podcast are perfect <laughs> and, uh, and no one listening is perfect. And there's going to be things that you're, you know, you fail at and you sin at. And then you ask for the grace for the next day to see where God is. So basically, it's a review of the day. And why is it a, a great prayer? It's because it helps you to see where God is. And sometimes it's oh. easier to see where God is looking back, as you know than it is in the moment. Um, and that's the, and the other thing is we tend not to spend time on our day hmm. at the end of the day. We're just, sometimes we're so busy or in the middle of a pandemic, we're just so, Oh my gosh, another day. And we just sort of <laughs> throw ourselves into bed and we don't take the time to really notice, which is what the examination of conscience is. It's a, it's a really, and the other thing is to your point, it's a really easy prayer. Yeah. I mean, just review the day. It doesn't, I think people are okay with that kind of prayer. It's it's looking at the real, right? Where where God is to be found. How would you describe the gift of imagination? And how can people who may not be familiar with with the tradition of Ignatian contemplation see it as a gift of imagination? Yeah, another great question. Uh, you know, Ignatian contemplation is basically using your imagination to place yourself in a scene, usually a scripture scene, but it could be just with Jesus by himself or uh, some idea of what God is like, but it's, it's imagining yourself usually in a scripture scene. And, you know, for example, if you take, uh, let's say, let's say the story of the call of the first disciples, which we were just talking about. 
you literally imagine yourself. You say, all right, I, what does Jesus look like? What did the disciples look like? What does the Sea of Galilee look like? Right. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be exactly authentic if you've never been to the Holy Land. Right. <laughs> um, what What do I hear? Well, you're at the beach. You know, you're going to hear waves. Right. You're going to hear birds. And what does Jesus sound like? Uh, what do I feel? Right. What am I wearing? What do I smell? Right. Do I smell fish? I mean, you're, you're with fishermen. You're at the boat with or you're at with the nets, you know, with Peter and Andrew in the boat with James and John, you know, you're going to smell like fish. Um, what do you what do you taste? I mean, have you just had a meal and you you put yourself in this scene and you basically see what comes up, right? Um, see what kinds of uh, insights, memories, desires, emotions, feelings, phrases, right? What What's coming up for you? A lot of times in that scene, you know, people desire to be with Jesus, right? And so to, to respect what comes up as as one way that God has of speaking to you. Now, when I first was introduced to this as a Jesuit, I thought this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, really, like, they were like, okay, now we're going to teach you how Jesuits pray. <laughs> and I, I remember sitting in front of my spiritual director in the novitiate and thinking, what? Like, what, what do you, what? Like, I'm just like making stuff up in my mind. <laughs> And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to like make stuff up and Jesus is going to say something to me. And he was like, um, let me ask you a question. <laughs> he said, do you think that God can work through your relationships? And I said, yeah, sure. I knew he was leading me down the garden path, but um, do you think God can work through the sacraments? Oh, of course. Can God work through hymns and music? And of course, can God work through the, the Bible? Yeah, of course. So he kept, he had this long list of things that God could work through. And he said, why can't God work through your imagination? Hmm. He said, it's a gift, right? And that doesn't mean that everything that comes into your mind is going to be from God. But I've experienced it long enough. I've been a Jesuit 30 years to know that it can be very powerful for people. It's not, it's not, it's not something everyone likes to do, but it can be extremely powerful. And I've met people who, and everyone has an imagination. I mean, look, we all... You know, if, as a friend of mine said, if you, if you, if someone describes, you know, c- cutting their finger on a paper cut and, oh, you sort of feel it, you have an imagination, right? right. Um, and so everyone can do this in their own way. And some pretty amazing things can come up in terms of what you see or recognize or feel. And it makes the story your own. It just does. It just makes it your own. A woman, I'll tell you a story, a woman, we were talking about this exact story. And I'm also curious about your experience with the with this. We were talking about the, this exact story, and I put this in the book. A woman felt this desire to be with the disciples, and she felt sort of uh, like far away from them, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. she was watching this from far away, and she said, I really want to be with them. And I said, well, okay, what does that mean? She said, I really want to follow Jesus. So, you know, in this passage, in through her imagination— came this desire, this really clear desire, I want to be with Jesus. So what, what's your, what's been your experience with it? You have a Ignatian spiritual director, so I'm sure you've, yeah. I'm sure you've pr- uh, practiced this once in a while. Well, as I was getting started, um, this actually wasn't a recommendation that was given to me. It just happened by accident. I have small mm-hmm. children, three little boys, and I had been practicing Ignatian contemplation, you know, that approach to prayer for a couple of years mm-hmm. and it had some meaningful experiences. But mm. then, you know, as I became a parent and was reading books to my boys, 
I found myself reading picture books to them mm-hmm. that, you know, had, had scenes from scripture. And I found myself trying to turn around. So if, if we imagine a, a book as like a flat image, I found myself thinking like, okay, if this is a 360 view, what is off the page? What, what mm. fell on the cutting room floor, so to speak? And I have found that a really helpful way to just increase my imagination, <laughs> you know? That's great. Um, and I found myself doing the same in scripture. I'm, I'm sorry, in nature, actually. You know, if I'm somewhere that I've never been before and you're there in a certain place in time, I find myself trying to think also because I love gardening, like, oh, I wonder what this looks like in me fall. T- me too. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what this looks like in spring. I wonder, mm. like, I wonder, like, right now this is, you know, full of vivid color and life and and there's a breeze so there's some movement and whatever but of course in the dead of winter this is going to look and feel totally different and yet it will be the same place mm. and so i've i found myself taking some of those postures and curiosities then into prayer and and it has become just a practice of trying to look around more being more attentive mm. and present and I don't know, just be a better noticer, basically. I love that. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, thanks for sharing that. I think it also reminds us that that the scripture stories that we enter into, the gospels, are much fuller than what are presented on the page. Right. <laughs> like these people, you know, this is, and I, I've been to the Holy Land a couple of times, and that really helps to kind of, but you don't have to have gone to the Holy Land. You know, like these people have like real lives, like, right. for example, you know, um, when we're talking about, uh, you know, say someone that Jesus heals, right? Like the bent over woman or the woman with the hemorrhage or any of those stories in general, they kind of, they kind of walk into the story and then they walk out. Right. right? And sometimes they don't even have a name, right? The blind man or the <laughs> beggar or whatever. But, you know, I think your insight, which is so profound is that beyond that, they they have a whole life. Right. I mean, the, the woman who with the hemorrhage has a whole life of whatever, 12 years where she's been suffering. And then she has a life afterwards and she has a family. And that really just, I think, helps contextualize it and reminds us that these are these are real. These are real people that these things happen to. And that's really a wonderful way of looking at it. The stuff that's not on the page. That's really beautiful. And and see, that's where our, ma- our imagination really can come in, because yeah. we we you know, we don't know you know, about the woman with the hemorrhage. We know that she suffered for 12 years. We don't know what happens afterwards. Who knows? You know, maybe she becomes this great apostle for Jesus and, you know, um, so yeah, that, that's great. And that, and we have to, we have to imagine that, right. We have to imagine the stuff that is not told to us in the gospels. And it's, and that's a, it's a beautiful gift to be able to do that. So thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that. It's really pretty. As well as a gift though, I think it it can be helpful to think of it as a skill that you can build. Mm, Yeah. Um, Know that like, starting to ask better follow-up questions in your conversations or just like mm. letting yourself have the time and space to be curious about something that that can often be a good place for imagination to start and even like just praying against a poverty of imagination has been really helpful for me because there are times that I come to scripture or I, I'm like looking at my life and I'm like I have no idea what to do next or I have no <laughs> idea what faithfulness what a faithful response to this moment is. Mm. And those are moments that I'm like, okay, I need help. I have a poverty of imagination here, like help. Um, and it really, it seems to make a, a big difference. I, I've also noticed that in my own experience, walking with people as a spiritual director, that that has also opened up quite a bit for me about prayer and has mm-hmm. helped me see the people in scripture as real people, just like the, you know, the people I meet with as real people. So I'm curious as you have met with people as a spiritual director, what's most surprised you 
Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for that insight. That's a great insight. So you're connecting the invitation to see beyond, in a sense, the the, the page, right? Mm-hmm. And and be more imaginative with the invitation to sort of, in a way, think more openly about choices in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like 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 we can get so stuck, right? Like oh, I'm I'm I think one of the things I hear a lot in, in directions like oh, I'm trapped. But but to your point, to always know that there's more to the picture than we're seeing, both on the page but also in our lives. That's a great insight. I should I really want to come to you for spiritual direction. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a great director. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the most surprising thing is probably what you would agree with, which is the way that the spirit works so individually, personally, and uniquely with each person. Mm-hmm. That just blows me away. Yeah. Um, and I'll share something from the Holy Land. Um, so I do a lot of direction one-on-one, but I also help facilitate faith sharing groups from time to time. And when we're in the Holy Land, it's a group of about a hundred pilgrims and we break up into, believe it or not, faith sharing groups of 50 each. I mean, it's, wow. a little, yeah, I know. But what I say to them is, look, just say something meaningful, interesting, or significant that's happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And that usually leads into a conversation about God, because as you know, if you say, where was God present in your life? Everybody clams up, right? They don't feel like their 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 experience is worthy. So anyway, um, what amazes me is the variety of ways that the spirit works. So, for example, someone will say, "Oh, I saw the Sea of Galilee today, and I was moved to tears." Okay. Another person will say, "Oh, you know that that line in the hymn at Mass really moved me." Another person will say, "I had an amazing um, conversation with someone just walking to to lunch." It's totally different for people. Hmm. And what strikes one person might not strike another person. Someone might say, didn't you look at that 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 um, rock there and think that Jesus might have stepped on it? Weren't you moved? And someone will say, not really, right? <laughs> and that person will say, but I really thought when we were singing that hymn, it just moved me to tears. And another person will say, yeah, that really didn't do it to me. I didn't like that hymn very much. So one of the things it's, and it's funny to laugh at is that the spirit is so unique. Mm-hmm. And yet the beautiful thing is it's the same spirit. Right. I, I usually remind people it is the same spirit. And also something I heard on a retreat a couple of years ago, which kind of blew me away from a theologian who was preaching. He said, which really blew me away, that it is the same spirit that was present to Jesus in full, hmm. you know? Paul says the spirit is not rationed or portioned, right? You're experiencing the same Holy Spirit that, you know, in a, in a different way, of course, but that, that Christ experienced and that others are experiencing. And so fully present to us and yet really personal, which is, it really does kind of blow my mind. I mean, and, and we sit around all 50 of us and I say, this is the same spirit. It's the same spirit that is working with you, you and you. It's the same spirit that's drawing us together. It's the same spirit that was present to Jesus it kind of blows people's minds. And I don't think a lot of, at least a lot of Catholics don't give the Holy Spirit a lot of credit. You know, it's all about Jesus or God, the father, but the spirit, you know, it's the primary way that we're experiencing God. Right. So I just think that that to me never fails to surprise me. The individuality of the spirit. Another, another good gift for sure. Yes. I'll say, (laughs) otherwise we wouldn't be doing much spiritual direction (laughs) without the spirit. (laughs) Okay. So I'm curious, we, we're almost done and I still have like a million questions I could ask you perhaps another day, but sure. I'm curious, Be happy to come back <laughs> for kind of last thoughts. My experience has been that a contemplative life, a life of silence, of solitude, of prayer, of scripture 
which all seem very solitary and um, can even tend toward navel gazing if you're not careful. Yeah. yeah, they actually are are the things that lead me most deeply to be able to love my neighbor and to love them well in ways that aren't mm-hmm. superficial. Or um, I know we've heard a lot about performative love in this last year. What's been your experience with the dual gifts of contemplation and love of neighbor? Yeah, that's great. You know, the Jesuits, we sometimes say contemplation and action, you know, the, the two kind of poles. You know, I find that it, it basically enables me to do that, not only enables me and, and impels me to do that, but kind of frees me to do that. So, for example, you know, if I'm struggling with something, you know, what, what, whatever it is, the pandemic or my response to it or whatever, whatever it is, if I'm not thinking about these things with God and praying about them, then I'm not free to really be available to people. Hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not really present to them because I'm, ironically, I'm more stuck in my stuff. Right. So for me, I think it's a process and a practice of, and it's nothing, it's nothing, um, you know, mysterious. Well, I mean, it is mysterious, but it's nothing that can't be explained. If, when I'm saying it, it makes it sound like I close my eyes and suddenly I'm freed. No, I mean, <laughs> it's doing the kinds of stuff that we're, we've been talking about, the examination of conscience, praying over scripture, you know, asking God to sort of, you know, bring stuff up and raise stuff up in prayer and, you know, and talking to God about things that are difficult, right? And eventually it doesn't, it's not like I sit down and something just pops into my head. Eventually you get some clarity, right? Now, without doing that, you're, you're, you're kind of stuck in yourself. So the irony is the more time you spend doing that, the, I think the freer you are and the better friend or brother or sister or companion or spouse or whatever you'll be. And I think that just makes you more loving. I think that's what God is doing in prayer, trying to make us more loving. Yeah, that that prayer is not purely for our own sakes, though I think Mm -hmm. certainly drawing near to God is that in and of itself is certainly one of the gifts of prayer, but that it also then sends us out in ways that we can be more present and attentive and yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book to basically help people into that process, because as you know, it can be so daunting to people and it shouldn't be. It's, It's accessible. The life of prayer you know, is accessible for everyone. That's why the, the, the subtitle of my book, which I really enjoy is um, a guide for everyone. And some people say, Oh, isn't that, that's kind of, that's kind of a a sort of a bold statement, but it's true. It's for everybody. Prayer is for everybody. I think there's some humility in in naming that, that, that prayer is for everyone and um, that it is not just for, for some of us or in some ways, but exactly. yeah, that God meets each of us. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I am grateful to have been getting to know you in a new way after a long time of reading your work. And I will also just throw in that I have loved so much of what I have read from the magazine and, and the website. And I think your official title is editor at large. Yes. And another day I've, I'm like dying to hear what it's like to lead lead an organization of that size and with that level of impact. Oh, well, fortunately, I can tell you, editor-at-large <laughs> is not editor-in-chief. And so <laughs> I true, basically, you know, that, can I tell you something funny? There's a funny line from a fellow named probably before you were born, Michael Kinsley, who used to write for the New Republic. He used to okay. say, and the editor-at-large, I mean, I basically, I, I write books, then it helps to bring in money to the magazine and I write articles. And mm-hmm. so his line was, <laughs> the editor-at-large, bores interns with stories of the way things used to be 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I do. No, but I love it. I really, and listen, this has been such a great 
conversation and you ask, I mean, you know, you can see why you're a good director. You ask such great questions. So I'm really grateful and I, I'm happy to come on again whenever you'd like. Well, we would love that so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. One of my hopes is to help you fill your spiritual toolbox, so to speak. That is to help you cultivate different spiritual practices that can journey with you at different seasons of life. I hope this conversation has given you one new prayer practice to journey with, or perhaps a practice of prayer to go deeper with. I still cannot believe that Father Martin took time to have this conversation with me, but I hope you loved it as much as I did. And if you haven't already, I hope that you will check out our shop and pick up his book, Learning to Pray, A Guide for Everyone. Okay, last thing. If you're not already on our email list, head to sacredordinarydays.com slash join. We send a Tuesday email care package and in it, you will find not only the latest podcast episode like this one, but all the other stuff that we would love to include, but just doesn't work on a podcast. So things like videos, links to other resources, and also some prayers. I'd also love to hear your aha from this conversation. You can reply to that email when you get it or send us a note on social media. We'd love to see where you were when you listened to this episode and we'll be sharing some of those. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next week. Sacred Ordinary Days is hosted by Jen Giles Kemper and produced by Kayla Craig. Sacred Ordinary Days is a show helping you reimagine your life with Christ, one that leads you to become more holy human, more fully faithful. Support these conversations by subscribing and leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. To learn more, visit sacredornydays.com. Thanks for listening.